Hi ladies and gents and thanks for joining us again today on the Leading Results Fitness Podcast. We're starting season two now of the Leading Results Fitness Podcast and myself and Jamie are going to host as many episodes as we can in the coming weeks and then we're going to have a short break and then we're going to get back into season three. Uh, we already had some really good confirmed guests. So we've got Gunther Schlunkemp, who is the only guy ever to beat Ronnie Coleman during Mr. Mr. Ronnie Coleman's reign as Mr. Olympia. We also have Sean Clarida, who is a, a three-time IFBB champion, and also Charles Griffin, who is one of the best up-and-coming bodybuilders in the IFBB. Jamie, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, very well, mate. How, uh, how is business and the gym treating you, James, since we spoke last? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, let's go into into your off season, James. Let's crack straight on with this. And uh, how was your off season, James? How how have things progressed since we last spoke? Who are you working with? What are you doing at the moment? Just to still compete the British. We've just taken over the gym. I was working with JP. Um, weight was going on well, I had a very good rebound from the British, I think I was looking back at some photos from like December, you know when you, you think you look like shit, but then you look back at the pictures and you think, damn, I look really good, so things are going in the right direction, but when, it hit, when the summer hit, I think it was a real realisation that it was just too, too soon, business really needed to take that priority, and competing needed to take the back step, and I wasn't sure, you put the doubts in your mind whether you can take your 100% package to the stage. And once you're obviously a British champion, the only way is down. So my view was business first this year, um, next year come back with a bang. And obviously plans have changed slightly because I won't be on the UK BFS stage, but I definitely feel like I'm in a good position now to attack prep. And I'm already eight weeks in and progress is really fast, so it's all looking good. Yeah, rewinding back to the finals, Jim. I know we spoke at the finals. Um, what did you think of the finals this year? What did you think of the standard? What did you think of the winners? Um, well, obviously, you know me, Rob. I'm an honest guy, so I'm going to give my honest thoughts on everything. I think the strength and depth was lacking a lot. Um, I think the numbers were down for whatever reasons, but the strength and depth in all the classes were lacking. I mean, you look at the Supers, for example, I think there was 20 guys on stage last year, and the top 10 were all decent guys. This year, you're looking at the top four or five, and you're still picking faults with them. Um, James, obviously, deserved winner. Uh, Samson was a little bit off on the day, and he got his profile the week after and looked better. Fantastic for him, because he's a nice guy, and I've um, met him and trained him a few times, and I think he just got a lovely shape. Uh, I think the, the standout class for me was Owen Powell's class. Um, the top three in that class was very good. That was Rob and um, Joey, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, for me as well, Joey, with his shape and his balance, even though he's a bit lighter than Rob, I think he could have took it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed on that completely, James. Um, well, I, I know Joey um, through through one of the guys who runs the social media page and it helped him with prep. And he actually, in the under-90s class, he only weighed 84 kilos. Um, yeah. So he, he didn't look it, but he, he's still got six kilos to grow in that class. And I think in a couple of years' time, he could be really, really good. Oh, it'd be dangerous if he gets to close to that 90 kilos, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought Robbie looked good. I thought he dropped a lot of weight from the... Um, 
from the Arnold's. I think he was seven kilos lighter than what he was at the Arnold's, um, you know, in the yeah. space of three weeks. I don't know what your thoughts are, but personally, I thought Rob came down to that undeniable class again, and that took his fullness away from the top half, made his waistline look even thicker, and just took away from his shape. Mm. Um, so I think if he was going to compete again, he definitely, he, he's definitely in the over 100 class, or over 90 class, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I see pictures of him now, and he's 250 pounds, and he still looks pretty fucking good at 250 pounds, you know. So, you know, to drop, I think, 60 pounds or something from where he's at now, he's certainly, in my opinion, chopping into muscle, getting that low in body weight. Yeah. I think for his shape and his, his thicker midsection, the more mass, the better. So obviously, top half anyway, and that'll make his shape even better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, it, and if he does pursue that, that 212 ranks, you know, he's still got, you know, he's still probably got the the way to grow. So if he's coming under 90 kilos, he's probably still, still four or five kilos to get that 212 class. So if that's his goal, then try and compete as close as you can as, at 212, you know, and, and be the best you can at 212. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but no, I agree with what you say about the about the depth of the lineups, James, as well. You know, it, you know, this is, you know, I've been going to the finals now since 2012, 2013, and. It was probably the smallest bodybuilding classes I'd ever seen. And also probably in terms of the whole perspective, one of the lowest standards I've ever seen as well. And okay, yeah, absolutely. There were standout guys, you know, I thought Kuba was fantastic, looked really good for a junior and, and, won, that, and won that class. And he, again, he'll, he's one for the future as well and looks fantastic. Um, there were standout bodybuilders, absolutely, like there always are. But in terms of the overall standard, I thought it was definitely a lot lower than what it had been for the last few years. Yeah, I think um, the audience seemed a bit flat as well. It seems to be much atmosphere from the audience. I think everybody was kind of feeling the same way. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, because I know um, a lot was happening behind the scenes, and maybe that had transferred over to some of the athletes. Yeah, yeah, most, most definitely, yeah. And in terms of touching on your prep, James, so you say you're eight weeks in now. How's things going with your prep? Yeah, very well. Um, started, I was uh, 299, 300 pounds. Like I said, off-season was very disjointed. Um, I didn't put any or much weight on. I was just really itching to get back into the prep because I was up to the stage where I couldn't physically stomach any more food. Calories were probably 8,000. Um, you know, I was maxed out, not, not just eating-wise, just mentally, more mentally. Um, so we got back into prep, started working with the new coach, Alex. Things are going really well with him. Um, morning weight this morning was 282. So I'm about 18 pounds down in eight weeks. Um, but the aim is to get ready as quick as possible. So I'm looking nice and flat. Um, but and I think in his head, he wants me to go on stage around 290. So that's eight pounds now. So we could drop him for five or and then stop me yeah and so so you say the goal would be 290 you say James as close to 290 as you can and, and what would that be in terms of progress from when you last stepped on stage at the British last year I was 280 um, so it would be a £10 difference um, but I do seem to grow during prep just because everything's so much more anal I guess all the boxes are ticked nothing's missed um, calories are still relatively high especially around the workout window, so there's still that potential to grow. Um, cardio's not so intensive, I'm doing 5am fasted sessions, um, light to medium intensity, 
and I'm doing some hit post workout, but again, um, five kind of sprints, so nothing crazy. Are you running, James? Yeah, I was going to say that would be interesting to see on the treadmill. Yeah, I've been taking the dog out for a walk in the morning, and uh, if I think it's a bit easy, I'll get into a bit of a jog. Well, that's my limit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And training-wise, Jane, what are you? Uh, any changes in your training since you started prep? Since the last time we spoke? Yeah. Um, the main change was really when we last talk, talked. Obviously, I was with JP. So I was trying the progressive overload for the first time, really, because um, I know you're get that kind of training. Um, I've always been more volume based, and um, especially when we work with Melos, you, you know what it's like. He likes the giant sets and um, form tempo and all, mixing things up. And I think that style of training suits me a lot better. Um, I like to feel like the blood's flowing, and I like to feel like I'm out of breath and the heart's working. Um, it's almost like a cardio exercise as well as you know your weight training. So I've gone back to my old ways. Um, with the JP's heavy um, progressive overload style training, I suffered from a lot of back injuries. Um, I don't know yourself being taller, um, I've low back injuries, but my back's been a bitch all year. Um, and it's only just getting back. I've still got some slight body disalignment uh, and leaning to the left. So trying to get back to back to my enjoying it and my body's changing so yeah. Um, what, one of the things I've taken on board, James, actually working with Milos is Milos actually doesn't set me a training plan, but he does want me to increase the volume of my sessions. Um, so, so one of the things that I do now is I, I pick two heavy exercises. So, for example, if I'm doing chest, it might be flat bench press and incline dumbbells. Those are just examples. I will try and get stronger at those two, but then every other exercise in that workout is either a giant set, a super set, or a drop set. So I'm incorporating the, the progressive overload. I, I don't log my lifts. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incorporating the progressive overload, but what I'm doing alongside that is really trying to do some cell swelling exercises as well and get lots and lots of blood into the muscle outside of those two exercises. So a, work, a workout for me might mean nine exercises, but that might mean three giant sets, two supersets, and just two straight exercises. And that's worked incredibly well for me over the last sort of six or seven months. So yeah, one of the biggest things that I've learned moving away from the sort of rigorous progressive overload is that it does absolutely kill your joints. Like it really hurts your joints everywhere, elbows, knees, back, everywhere. Um, but doing it in each workout, but just sh making it smaller. So rather than doing every exercise progressive overload, picking two at the start, and then doing lots and lots of supersets, giant sets, drop sets. Um, and that's really helped with my physique as well. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do, Rob. Um, every, every workout, I'll choose one or two compound movements to start off with and attack them. Like you say, try and progress them each week. I don't log, because um, if you go anything about it, you can remember what you did last week. Um, and then one thing I've adopted this time, taken from JP's style, but um, Alex has put out the clip of it as well, is uh, muscle rounds. So that could be anything from four reps times six sets back to back. Um, at the minute, I like to try and do six reps six times with a five to ten seconds rest in between. You do one set of that on like a bicep curl or a back row or something, and you know about it when you finish. So yeah. Great things to chuck in. Yeah, and, and, and it forces growth as well, you know. The, People, unfortunately, at the moment are so 
obsessed with progressive overload, progressive overload, progressive overload, and that they think, oh, that's the only way to grow. Well, actually, there, there's other ways to grow as well. You know, cell swelling, like you say, the pump being one of them, getting a really nasty pump, you're going to grow. And, and unfortunately, at the moment, people are so obsessed with the progressive overload, they're sort of forgetting all the other ways to grow as well. So it's nice that, that somebody else is also incorporating that sort of style of training as well. Definitely. And I think um, if we obviously skip on to another topic that we might come back to later, but if you're using things like insulin um, as a kind of nutrient driver, surely the best way to drive those nutrients is with maximum blood flow. And volume training is going to obviously help towards that massively. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And again, you know, it's one of the reasons where, where I went to Milos to, to learn a hell of a lot more about those sort of subjects. So, yeah, we will touch upon it later, but absolutely, when you're using those things, make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. Make sure you're not just sticking it in and it's, you know, it's almost useless. Make sure you're sticking it in and you're getting a benefit from it as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So you talked about your shows, James. We know you're um, swapping over to the Two Bros show in March. Uh, what's your reasoning behind that, James? Obviously, last time I competed um, last year, I was kind of very tunnel vision. I had a great 2015 campaign, obviously. Um, unexpected win at the British uh, Super Heavyweights. So, uh, rightly or wrongly, tunnel vision last year was uh, all about the profile. Uh, went to the Arnold Classic, obviously, with the little bit upset there, but uh, great experience, great thing to learn from. Um, things not to do, things to do, blah, blah, blah. We went on to the British. I looked good. I came third. I definitely could have been tighter. I know that. So I could have dropped a few pounds. But again, it's a nice learning experience. Um, this year, obviously, I had off for business. My plan was to compete with the UK BFF again next year. And hopefully go for that overall, get pro for that one. Um, because of what's happened with the UK BFF and two bros, obviously, um, having the pro cards and sanctioning them now and the UK not having that possibility um, I still wanted to um, have a crack at it I'm not saying I'm so tunnel vision towards it's pro card or nothing this year, next year because that's not the case I just want to get back on stage and enjoy it and um, possibly compete against some friends that I've not had a chance to compete with before like Josh Maley um, Matt Sandal and some of the guys from the PCA because they've got some great athletes now if the UK BFF didn't have the ruling where they would ban athletes if they competed elsewhere, I would still be on that British final stage on Um Personally, and I've got nothing against anyone in the UK BFF, I've obviously been um, honest with my views so far. I get on great, or did do with all the judges and the, the, the owners and the kind of people who lead the federation, but I think it's a bad thing that they're not letting athletes cross over. Now they've not got the, the carrot, as it were, for the pro card. Um, and they, to, to me, Rob, they've not done anything to push this elite card either. They're kind of leaving athletes in limbo. Mm. If they were pushing the elite card and they were making it sound something extra special and this is why you should stay with us but don't compete anywhere else, fair enough, but they've just not done anything to kind of keep the clientele and the athletes. So I don't know what's going to happen with them next year. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. This is a, you know, this elite card, I know a little bit more about it than sort of what other people do because I've asked in, in cases for my athletes. Um, yeah. but, but no, you know, there's, there's been no information at all been sent out about it. Nobody is aware. Some people didn't, some people who actually, uh, I know Scott who won the overall at the uh, British in the men's physique wasn't even aware it was available. Um, you know, and, and that's a British champion, an overall British champion. Didn't even know that he could apply for it. Um, so yeah, no, there just hasn't been much media put out on about it. And, and I agree with people like yourself, James, changing over. 
And when you have the dream of that pro card and someone's not offering that anymore, it then makes sense to change across. Um, and someone like yourself, James, who is a British champion, who has been top 10 at the Arnold's, uh, you know, who, who's in a position now to push for that pro card, it makes sense for you to change across. The, the, the biggest issue, not issue, or the biggest thing I think is unrealistic at the moment is people who are not placing at the finals, who are placing third in regional qualifiers, who, who are barely making the grade to be a bodybuilder or to be a men's physique athlete, saying, right, now I'm changing over. You know, I, I just don't understand that because they're barely making the grade on the UK BFF scene. When they go across to the two bros, and like you pointed out, Jim, other people can compete in that federation. The PCA boys can compete in that federation. The NABA boys can compete in that federation. Other people from overseas can compete in those federations as well. And if you're barely making the grade in the UK BFF, where does that put you when everybody else joins that pool as well? That's it. It's going to be a very, very difficult show. But that's also a reason why I wanted to compete with them, because it's going to be a fantastic show. Um, at the end of the day, as an athlete, you want to put yourself against the best. You want to know where you stand. Um, and it's definitely going to be something like that on stage. Yeah, and, and, I, and again, I think as, as a super heavyweight, Jim, I, I know as a British champion, you never have to qualify again, but I went to a lot of the shows this year and a lot of the times the super heavyweights were standing up there on their own. You know, there was one guy at a qualifier, there was two guys at a qualifier. And, and it's one of the reasons that Jace is, is moving over to the PCA because now he's no longer a junior. He has to compete in the super heavyweights or even the intermediates. And he, potentially he could prep for 16 weeks and stand against nobody, you know, and that's, and, that, and that's not what you want to do. So, again, like we spoke about at the very, very start uh, when we was off air, the standards of the bodybuilders have definitely dropped because the numbers have dropped. And when the numbers have dropped, they say you don't want to do a prep and stand there on your own on stage. That's it. And the worrying thing is, Rob, if the numbers drop this year, with everything that's cracked off, and in my eyes, the UK BFF not doing themselves any favours, what the hell is the numbers going to be like next year? Mm. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed, Jim, absolutely. Um, and, and if I was, if, if you put me in your shoes, James, 100% I'd be making the same decision as you. I'd be swapping over and, and moving federations. Um, if, like, I sit in a position now where I know I'm not at the standard to be anywhere near that pro card, so for me, I, I won't change over because I still have aspirations of being a British champion, making the grade almost with the UK BFF. Before then, I even think about crossing over. There would be no point in me doing that show, having la getting last call out. Okay, yeah, I, I see where I stand, like you say. I see where I stand against the bigger boys and the better boys. But I know that I'm not going to be in that first call out. I know that there's probably 10 guys in this country that will beat me. And then when you've got the other boys coming from overseas, you know, maybe I'll be in the last call out. And it's, all, it's not a wasted prep, but I ju I'm just not at that grade yet where I can step over. And I, and I really think until you're at that grade, then keep doing what you're doing. Keep competing, keep getting better. And once you're at that grade, then think about changing over. Yeah, I, th I think to yourself as well, Rob, I mean, you might agree or disagree, but your, your business um, with a lot of your athletes, obviously um, competing with the UK BFF and in the Elite League, um, maybe it wouldn't be such a good business decision to move over just yet as well, until everything kind of irons out a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, you know. Out of all the people that I prepped, so for this year, there was 28 people that went to the British finals under you know, Team LRF, and only one person so far has stepped across and said, I'm going to compete in the Two Bros show. And she competed in San Marino, and she placed third. And she was fourth at the British finals. So she is in that group of very small people that have the potential to go on and turn pro. 
if she was a person that never placed at the British finals, I'd probably say to or even if she was fifth or sixth, I'd probably say maybe wait a little bit more. But she's at that position where she can, and she's the only one out of all those people that held her hands up and said, I want to be an IFBB pro. And for me to be an IFBB pro, this is where I need to compete. So she went across to San Marino and she, she placed first. She didn't quite get that pro card. She was a couple of places off, but she'll go again and get better. I think another deciding factor for me, Rob, was the fact that if I, I stayed with the UK, I could have done, say, that Grand Peel something earlier, or maybe an international show, but I wanted to compete in the UK earlier in the year than July or October. Um, the March show just felt perfectly and allowed me to get on that press because I was just itching to feel better about myself and start enjoying things again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, so moving across to your coach, Jim, how, how have things changed sort of um, with, with your style of training? Like we spoke about your diet, we've spoke about, um, sorry, we haven't spoken about your diet. So how are things looking now with your diet, Jim? Where did you start sort of, where are you now eight weeks in? Yeah, we, we started um, when we was at 300 pounds. We started on high calories and carbs started at 900 a day and dieting. And the idea was just to slightly recomp the body because um, I'd been going through weeks and weeks of roller coaster up and down with good diet, bad diet, good day, bad day, you know how it is. Um, so it's really just to kind of hit the hammer, everything's 100%, every meal's going in, every gram of food's being made, every training session's being done. And we stuck at 300 pounds for three weeks, but the body changed a lot. And um, so it was really happy. Then we started chipping away things. And um, so from from the eight weeks out point, um, start the diet now. I'm now on 600 grams of carbs a day. So we've only dropped 300 grams of carbs. Not really anything from the training window, um, pre and from post. So the majority of the 600 comes in that window there. Um, it's the first three meals of the day, one, two, and three. Um, Pre-workout meal is four. So meals one, two, three are just protein and fats. So that's what I'm pretty much doing. I'm a, a high fat and high protein in the daytime where we're looking to kind of um, attack lipolysis and fat burning. And then around the training window, we're going carbs, we're trying to stay anabolic and we're trying to grow some tissue stuff. Yeah, so uh, that, that's a very similar approach to what, what I, I have with Milos at the moment. Um, is that something very similar you've done with Milos, Jamie, or is that something different that you've done with Milos? Yeah, it's very similar. I think uh, Alex has worked with Milos before. Um, he's, he's, not a, he's, he's a young guy and he's... he's He's just passionate, he's a bodybuilding geek. So he's been um, employing for the last five or so years the best coach in the world to law, uh, draw their information. He's got a couple of degrees like Jordan, so he's very educated by himself. Um, so you'll find bits, you pick his plans apart and you'll find bits from each individual coach from around the world that he's just took the best bits from. So yeah, his, his, his diet philosophy is very similar. What I will say is he's more flexible his food choices. So. Whereas Milos was quite old school with food choices, um, and he's probably wising up a little bit now to the fact of the high glycemics and whatnot that you do like to use. Um, Alex will chuck in sweets post workout. Um, you know, he'll let you have the, the, the processed foods where most coaches would say chicken and rice, fish and rice, it's got to be strict. Um, I mean, I've never had cheese on a back but cheese is one of my fat sources. And it makes sense because it's, it's a fucking good food source. Yeah. So I've changed three times a day, and I love it. It, it keeps me on track. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think more and more coaches are becoming 
more flexible in what they do, and and it helps when when like someone like yourself, myself, is does employ somebody who who in all honesty knows more than us, and when when because then we become better coaches as well. So you know that that's that was one of the biggest reasons that I went over to Milos is was to learn more about the drug side of things because that's probably my biggest weakest biggest weakness as a coach is I'm not very I, well I wasn't very educated on the drug side of things. So that was one of the reasons that I employed Milos. So. By you employing Alex, you know, you can almost take everything that he's learned from everybody else and condense it in that one little prep and, and then you move on as a coach as well and become better. 100% mate, it's all about learning. Uh, this, I, you obviously um, listen to me on Instagram various times, babbling on, but one of the things I said recently was invest in yourself. Don't look at the figure that that coach is charging you as a, as a one-off figure. That figure is, you spread that over the rest of your life. And you can actually earn money back from it, so it's it's like free money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that has happened since since me working with Milos is people have now come to me and paid me for different sort of drug protocols, you know. And and I'm almost earning that money back already, you know. And and yeah, so absolutely, like investing in yourself is is so important because, like you say, look, don't look at it over 12 weeks. Yeah, 12 weeks that's really expensive, or 15, 16 weeks that's really expensive. But spread that over 60 months, over 70 months, over 80 months, and how many clients then you can help and build up from that. And that's, that's a really, really good message for, for anybody listening to Take Home, you know, really invest in yourself and put that money to good use. Absolutely. Yeah. We can all waste money on shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about the gym, James. So uh, it's going well, things are moving well. Um, you know, what, what are some of the daily sort of problems that you see within the, the gym, James? Because people see you as a gym owner, they see me as a gym owner, and they think that person must live the life. They must have a great life. They can train whenever they want, and but they don't understand. So tell us what, what a day will look like, James, in, in sort of your gym and, and how you run things. Gym opens on six, so we've got um, since May we had a basement kind of refitted as a class studio. So we do classes uh, four days, five days a week, six o'clock in the morning. Uh, Wednesday and Friday, I'll get up at five, go and open the basement and do a fitness class. The gym's open upstairs, so I've got staff running the gym upstairs from six. Um, I'll go home, should get out and do my cardio straight away. Lately, I've been nipping back to bed for an hour. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I get to work normally around 10 o'clock, uh, fire off about three PTs. Then this, the gym's unmanned from 12 till 4, so I'm there from 12 till 4. You could say my day really starts at 5, I'm there till 4, nip home, pre workout meal, quick sit on a set back to the gym to train at 6. And I'm home by 8, so that's 5 till 8, and we're eating till 10 or 11. And we get up and do it all again, and you know what, it's like constant questions, people demanding your time. There's some people that demand too much time, I call them time thieves. <laughs> but as a business owner, you've got to have your nice hat on all the time, a bit black, and customers all right, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, there's not a lot you can do. Yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely, and, and like you say, Jim, like there are always people who want to talk to you at the gym. They, you, you at the gym are the point of contact for any question to do with training, to do with diet, to do with supplements. And when you have a hundred, two hundred members, however many people you have, you are the point of contact for every single one of those people. You know, and people don't understand that. They think, oh, you just stand behind the desk, or you know, you have an easy job. And okay, yeah, it's not the most taxing job in the world, but having to deal with people and 
in all honesty, stupid questions all day, becomes very, very hard, you know, and, and, and I'm not calling the gym users stupid, I'm not calling them at all, but when people are uneducated in a subject, it, it becomes very frustrating to answer the same question over and over and over. And, and an example would be, you know, where someone says to you, how much should I eat per day? And, and you don't know anything about them. And, 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 that, and that I probably get 10 times a week, and I'm probably you get it the same, Jamie. Taking this stuff, you're taking it for three weeks, but I'm not really noticing much. Right, okay. I'm watching training, train like a fairy. How much do you eat? Probably nothing. Yeah. I'm putting stuff in, you think you're just going to grow like a weed. <sighs> you probably say the same, and this is not calling people in my gym, just an observation, let's say, UK wide prevalent. But I don't see a lot of people training very hard anymore. Um, and I think before, when I didn't own a gym, and I was just dieting, training myself, you're very tunnel vision on your own thing. You don't really look around you. Now I'm in the gym all the time, you notice things, and there's a lot, a lot of people that can break a sweat, never mind, give it a grunt or two, and that's frustrating for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I say, it's not that... I can guarantee you, Jim, I, you know, we own a gym in London, and now we own a gym out in Kent. So this, you know, that isn't populated to one gym that is the whole of the whole of the country and I can assure you that 99.9% of people will finish a set and they could get two more reps out and and that that really makes the difference you know regardless of what you're using what you're taking what you're eating that makes a difference between somebody who is progressing and somebody who isn't progressing and you know I, I think a lot of the time especially I think we spoke about this before Jim, when when people put in all these fluffy and fancy movements Things like Instagram and social media have a massive influence on that. You know, they see their, you know, their their idol doing a, I don't know, a, a one-arm cable crossover, and they think, well, that, that's how he's got this massive chest. So then they start doing it, and it's not a hard movement either to start with, and they're not taking it to failure. And then that, that that's the biggest influence I think that that social media has on people, and it's a negative influence. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, social media portrays such a false life. Everybody looks like a supermodel. Everybody looks like Arnie. Everybody's got 23 inch biceps and 32 inch quads. And what do they do? Set diet plans and go to the gym for five minutes a day. It's not like that. Um, and yeah, I think I was talking obviously on the videos the other day about the over reliance on drugs and certain things. The core should really be training your arse off. And I think that needs to swing back around and be relearned a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in this second series, Jane, we're going to open up a little bit more or I, I'm happy to open up a little bit more about talking about those side of things because you know when when I first started training it was a very taboo subject it was something that nobody ever spoke about and I had to go into into people into the gym who I sort of didn't really know but knew that they were half intelligent about what they were doing and, and had to have a really awkward conversation with that person and say what do I do how do I do it you know I, I'm now willing to cross that boundary and, and how, do, how do I cross that boundary? And recently there has been a few people who are opening up a little bit more about these subjects. And, and I think that's a very, very good thing, you know, because people will hurt themselves if they do it in a wrong manner. Um, yeah. so, so one of the questions that we have is, is about an off-season cycle and what, what we would look to use for an off-season cycle. So what I'll answer first, James, on this one. So what I always say to people is try and look at how experienced they are in using drugs. And if you have never used anabolics before, 
do not use 10 substances in the first place. And the reason that people do this is because they'll go online, they'll see a forum, and some guy who's probably selling stuff has said, you need 10 substances, you need test, you need trend, you need Masteron, you need Deca, you need all these things for your first cycle. And then that person will then go out and buy all that, and then where do they go from there? You know, this is your first cycle, you're using 10 substances. So one of the things that I get a lot, and I get a lot of questions about, is what should I use for my first cycle? I'm in my off-season, what should I use for my first cycle? And you have to almost play it. I think you said it the other day, James, you have to play it like a game of cards. Don't lay your trump cards down all at once. You know, start with the smallest amount possible. So for anybody who's starting their first cycle, I would never, ever, ever go on any more than 500 milligrams of test. And let's, let's say this, this, this is mouse to say that we're starting with. So nothing to do with females, this is mouse. So never, ever, ever in your first cycle would I ever give anybody more than just 500 milligrams of test. And that should be ample amount to grow for the next 10 or 12 weeks before coming off. Um, wh- what do you think on that, Jim? Oh, 100%. I think, um, take you back to when I started when I was 23, um, just started competing in the UK BFF. First show, I thought, you know what, you need to give this a good crack. So, my first cycle was three mil a week. I had one mil every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. At the lean gain 200 by Medtap. <laughs> so, that's the blend of uh, Test Prof, Trenates, and Mastronates. Um, so, if we equate that, what is it, 0.7 per mil of test or something like that? So, I was doing it in nearly 200 milligrams of test a week. Yeah. Which is nothing, it's yeah. um, And I made some serious gains. Won my qualifier, looked great, and then carried on using that in my kind of off-season cycle again. I think I did 10 weeks on that, put a stone on. Um, and you hear some people now jumping into a gram of test a week, and <laughs> like say, adding in Decker and Nat 50s, and God knows what else. Who's told you to do that? Obviously the guy who's supposed to make some money. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and exactly the same. The first time I ever took gear was, was in the lead-up to my first show, which was 2012. And uh, I, I, said, I, went to, I actually went to a, a professional bodybuilder. His name's Ian Wadley. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning him. And he said, he said to me, Rob, you want to take as little as possible for as long as possible. And he said, and, and that's how you stay safe. So I said, right, what do I take? And I was on one meal of test a week for the first six weeks. Just one meal of test, which was 250 milligrams. And then he said, how are you progressing? I said, I'm doing really well. I'm getting leaner, et cetera, et cetera. He said, well, now maybe add in a little bit of Anavar. So at 10 weeks out, I added in 50 milligrams of Anavar a day. So I'm now on one meal of test a week and 50 milligrams of Anavar a day. At six weeks out, he said, Rob, how are you doing? I said, yeah, everything's coming in. You know, all the changes that you've made, the one change has worked. And he said, right, well, now add in an anti-estrogen and maybe a little bit of Winstrol. And that's all I did up to the show. And then at two weeks out, he said, right, now pull out that test and now add in a little bit more Winstrol. So I ended up, in, in the end, I was just doing 100 milligrams of Winstrol a day and one tamoxifen. But during that whole period of time, that whole 16 weeks, I never done more than one meal of test a week. Um, you know, and then I added in a little bit of Anavar at the right time, added in a little bit of Winstrol at the right time, and then took an anti-estrogen. And, and you know, like you say, Jim, the guys these days are coming on their first cycle and they're using trenacetate, they're using Masteron Propanate, they're using NAPS, then they're using DECA, they're using TEST. And, you know, and like you say, who, who has told you that? And it's probably the guy that's selling it who wants to make a little bit of money out of you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think people get things so back to the front as well. Um, I'll use one of my clients as an example, a new client, so he probably won't listen to this. 
even if he does, it's fine, so I won't mention his name. But um, he's come to me 20 weeks after the show. I've got my gear, Jamie. I want to start it. I'm just going to run it by you. Make sure you're happy with it. Okay, what you got? He's got Trenet Ace, Test Prom, Mastron Ace, and some Winstrom. 20 weeks out from a show. Okay, so you're going to jab every other day, three times a week minimum for 20 weeks. Let's take a step back. Let's save that for the last six weeks. Let's start with some slow acting stuff. Start on as little as possible, like you say. We're going to change the compounds and get ready for that trend, get ready for the fast acting stuff. Um, well, that's, to me, that's something very simple. Mm. Um, and, and people are not quite getting that bit using these fast-acting drugs 20 weeks out from the show and they're obviously jumping at the deep end of the diet and their cardio and everything we've just said about chucking all your cards on the table at the same time where do you go when things stall? Um, it's not rocket science but I think too many people are trying to overcomplicate it yeah absolutely and, and, and like you say you need to add those drugs in at a certain point, you know, because if you don't, you won't see the benefit of those drugs. If, you know, if you're using Masteron for 20 weeks, by the end of those 20 weeks, it will not have the same effect whether you introduce it at six weeks out. You know, at six weeks out or eight weeks out, when you will introduce something like Tren or Masteron, you want to see a harder, leaner, drier physique at that point. If you're a harder, leaner, drier physique at 16 weeks out, who cares? You're still 16 weeks out, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, I, I, people are, you know, and, and these are really basic things that, that I learned, you know, in, in the very early days of bodybuilding. Um, so, you know, and this is why this subject is something that I really want to be open and honest about and talk about, because if, if you can't afford a coach, if you can't afford a coach and you are making those mistakes, please listen to these podcasts and actually take note on, on what we're saying, because... I, we're not saying it for the sake of it we're saying it so you can improve your physique and have a better physique and then at the end of those 16 weeks have a physique that you can say right I listened and I, and I looked the best I ever did yeah of course yeah. I think um, for me we just want to be uh, completely honest uh, if we talk about a typical off season cycle uh, bearing in mind I've been cycling since I was 23 so 9 years ago um, I would stick around a gram of test maybe 1200 I went up to 1800s um, earlier on this year to see if I could get more from it. Um, I was doing Tesco 100, one and a half mil, three times a week, so 1800. And did I notice more? Definitely not. Um, so my staple go-to is always a gram uh, to 1200, depending on what I'm using. That's the maximum I'll go, and then we'll drop in a secondary drug, probably be Defra or Boldenon. I like Boldenon; it keeps you a bit harder. Um, and it's more of a slow leaner gamer whereas from Decker I've never really noticed much benefit um, obviously you get a bit more watery but I don't think it's one that worked well for me but I'll just start it from the test and I'll stick around 600 500, 600 with that and then maybe for the first five weeks drop in um, a napkin if you 30 to 40 milligrams of Dynabol just pre-workout on training days only and an anti-estrogen when I need one that's it as simple as that mm. three compounds and four if you count the anti-estrogen and five if we're counting insulin. Yeah, and, and, and let's get it right, James. You're a 300 pound British champion who is an advanced user. You know, you're not a wet young boy who's just getting into the game. You know, you, you are somebody who has been experienced in what you're doing, you know what you're doing. So when you're using a grammar test at 300 pounds, somebody who is 200 pounds should be using less, you know, because they don't have as much muscle to fill out, they don't have as much. You know, they're probably not eating as much food as well. So 
when you listen to that, don't please guys and girls, don't think, well, Jamie is using a gram, so I'm going to use a gram. Understand that Jamie is 300 pounds and he is an advanced lifter and he's also doing everything externally. He's eating all his food, he's getting all his training sessions in. So he's doing everything externally to match that amount, you know. So, so please, guys and girls, listen, but take note and be, be sensible. In, if you are listening, just be sensible in what you do. 100%. And the foundations need to be set before you start. I mean, you've got guys now starting at 16, 17 years old. They're still growing. Yeah. Testosterone's on the roof anyway. Like, why the fuck would you need to add any more? Yeah. Uh, it's just... I don't know whether there's pressure from social media. I don't know whether they're getting advice off the people in the gym who just want to make money, like you say. Um, but it's definitely not the right thing to do for, I would say, 21 years old. Mm. Obviously, looking at some of the juniors on stage these days, we know they're taking them on a fucking hill. <laughs> yeah. Stay, stay safe and keep your doses low if you're going to use Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you are going to talk to be somebody in the gym, Talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. You know, talk to somebody who, one, has a good physique to start with. Yes, drugs don't make you have a good physique, but if somebody has a good physique and you're aware they're using stuff, go and speak to them and put your cards on the table like I did. I said, you know, I, I really want to compete. Can you help me? You know, you know I'll, I'll pay you if I need to, but can you help me? Because I want to do this safely and correctly. And I don't want to be in bodybuilding for two or three years. I want to be in it for 20 or 30 years. You know? And if I abuse early on, which I see guys doing all the time nowadays, like you say, at the age of 16, 17, using Dynabols, using Test, you know, and, and they're, going to be, they're going to be run out by the time they're 25, by the time they're 30, they're going to be run out. And all their best years are yet to come. And they're already at the stopping point. It. Yeah. No, yeah. So, so that was one of the viewers' questions about an off-season cycle. So, so like you say, Jim, a little bit of test, a little bit of boulder. Not. Also, my preferred drug is boulder, rather than rather than Deca. I, I'm not a big fan of Deca. Um, and I've also used in the off-season a, a little bit of trenamphate. Um, and and I, and when I say a little bit, I mean a mil and a half. Trenamphate comes in at 200 meg, and I've gone up to 300 megs of trenamphate. Um, which I, I did find really beneficial, but it is still a trend drug. So you can't use that for too long. So the most I ever used that was for eight weeks. And I did get some really good quality muscle gains off the trenamphate, good lean, hard gains alongside the testosterone. Um, have you used trenamphate in the past, James? Do you like that drug? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about my current cycle if you want. So I've been on eight weeks. We started on the grandmother testing. I don't know why, but the test team has uh, given me some back pips, so we changed it to test hep, which is a very similar compound. But we're still running that at a grand, so we've been running that at a grand for the last eight weeks. Um, we started with the Deca, only 400 milligrams, but we dropped that out about five, no, about four weeks ago. Um, so we've been running training 400 milligrams a week since then, and that's all I'm doing. I'm doing grammar test, 400 milligrams of uh, Trenny, and no rules, just a 50 MCG of T3, T4, sorry, and we're currently at 60 MCGs of Clen, and that's part of 20. And that's the only thing I like to say, Clen, increasing clinics, um, because you can still get the benefits from a drug by a small increment. People are going up in 40s, and they're hitting 120, 160 doses before they know it, and it's just... There's more risks and benefits of that kind of dose. Yeah, and, and, and like we say, 
if you're going up in 40s and you go from 40 to 80 to 120 <coughs> and you're still 12 weeks out at 120, where are you going to be at two weeks out? You know, you're going to be on a hell of a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So again... Trent's got his place, Rob, definitely. Um, I think it'll obviously drop out before we reintroduce it late one in the cycle. But we want to get the benefits from it early and then uh, have a break and use some other compounds. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so, like, trend, like, the, the test always has to be a base, whether, whether on prep or in off-season, and then you've got things like Bolden on, Trenny, Decker, if you like Decker, um, even things like Nandrolone propionate, I know it's a fast-acting drug, but it's not bad if used in the off-season, um, but generally, I'd stick to your trend base and then look for something like a Bolden on, an Equipoise, um, or a Trenny, depending on, sort of, how experienced you are in using drugs yeah yeah definitely and, and definitely don't match your trend dosage with your test because that's no. <laughs> yeah and, and what, one of the things I do actually find with Trenny is at a higher dosage than around about three or four hundred milligrams I do start to lose my appetite a little bit um and, and obviously in the off-season, one of the things you want to do is maximise your food. And if you can't maximise your food in the off-season because of a drug, get that drug out. Like, that's a really, really important point. Like, if you can't maximise your food, get the drug out that's stopping you from eating and introduce something else because food has to be so important during the off-season. Definitely. I think that kind of transfers over into competition phase as well. I use myself for example as Gemma of um, using Yo Himba this year, obviously... Well, well documented that usage on Instagram <laughs> but that shit makes me go sick of the dog uh, literally watery mouth sensation all day where you're going to bar complete loss of appetite um, had it the same with the shreddable untamed and if you're going to feel like that on a daily basis where you don't want to eat you've still got to get the nutrients in mm. get that fucking drug bar feel good you're going to be more functional throughout the day anyway so you're going to burn more calories off by mm. training hard and getting meals in it just makes no sense to have a drug in there that's going to make you um, have a detriment to how you feel. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Yeah, absolutely agreed. The himbine's a funny one, you know. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's an illegal drug in the UK, so it is still a drug, but it, it does contain in some fat burners. Like, we have a, a gap product here that has your himbine in. And when, and, when you give, and when you give it to people, they say the same thing. I can't eat. Why can't I eat anything? And, and they don't realise it's actually got your himbine in, which is an appetite suppressant as well. Um, obviously it's legal in America isn't it? but like I say it's illegal in the UK on the back of the AD bottle there's no mention of your himbar but from taking it I knew that the shit was in it and obviously we're speaking to Alex because it's based in the US he confirmed that the himbar was in it and it's one of the things we care <laughs> read more print even though it's not there yeah no for sure yeah for sure so we'll move on to some viewers questions Jim so um, first question is I'll let you go for this one Jim um, training partners, good or bad? Good. Very good if you if find about them. Um, gotta be on the same wavelength. Gotta be on time. Can't be letting you down. Cancelling sessions. It definitely helps if you're competing, if that athlete is or has experience of competing too, because then they can understand mentally as well as physically what you're going through and help you get that push as well. But very easy to have a shit training partner and that could be detrimental but um, trial and error then I'm off and then I'm going yeah absolutely yeah you know um, sometimes I train with Jay sometimes I don't um, 
So yeah, I, I will do sessions with people if they're available. But if it doesn't fit my schedule, then unfortunately I'll train on my own. You know, so it, it, it has to fit your schedule and your timings and stuff. Yeah, so no, and again, like you say, them. it's hard when, because you're friends with most of the people, and, and you know, 90% of the people in the gym don't compete, so they don't understand sort of, this is my one hour to become better, you know, this is my one hour to be better, and if I've then got to maybe take 10 minutes here, 5 minutes there, that hour soon becomes an hour and a half, and that good workout becomes a bad workout. Yeah. Um, three biggest mistakes you see during prep. Uh, you want to fire away with one, Jim? Yep, agreed. So. Go live to rate on that. Yeah, no, that's fine, mate. Yeah, so yeah, really, they're just cutting, yeah, cutting, cutting calories too early. Um, on the back of that, doing too much cardio too early as well. You know, not 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 leaving yourself space to sort of grow over those next few weeks. Um, so that's two. Uh, third one, third biggest mistake. Um, we'll do four, Jim. You do one, I'll do one. In my experience, 20 weeks is perfect amount of time to do things nice and steady. Let your body and your own training do the work for you, and then have to rely on the drugs if you need to, not make them a necessity. Too many people leave themselves short, jump in at the deep end, like I say, slash calories, max cardio, max drug intake, and they're trying to get ready in 10 weeks when it's going to take them double the amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, leaving enough time. And I think my one would be uh, listening to the wrong people. Um, so if you employ a coach, listen solely to your coach. Don't listen to Joe Bloggs in the gym who done one show and placed last and has never prepped anybody. Um, so I would say if you employ a coach, just listen to your coach. If you can't afford a coach, pick one person to be your second set of eyes and just go with what you and that person think. Don't listen to 30 different opinions because in bodybuilding, you'll get 30 different answers. The sleep and its importance in terms of building muscle and burning fat. Um, so, how many hours of sleep are you on at the moment, Jim? Do you get you get your eight hours? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, Rob, but um, my prostate is fine. By the way, I've had that change. I'm getting to taller every hour and a half. I go to bed at eleven. Um, on a, on a day where I've got a class, I get up at five, so that's six hours in bed, but unbroken all the way through. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I think at the minute I'm averaging a bit more, but I'm probably still averaging seven hours a night. But when we when we was building the gym, I was probably surviving on maybe three, maybe four hours a night. Um, what was my training? as good as it was previously probably not but there was more influences than just sleep 
um, you know, speaking to a lot of guys, you know, who who are very good bodybuilders and who are pros, they're all averaging around about five or six hours a night. So, unless you, if you don't work and you haven't got a job, yeah, you can get your eight hours. But if you have a job, if you have you know tasks to do, then it's unrealistic that you're going to get your eight hours. So, yeah, it's going to have a, a detriment to some performance in the gym, but I don't think it's going to have as much as a detriment as some people make out. No, definitely. I think it's important. It's, it's something to kind of consider when it's not the be-all and end-all. No, no, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Uh, signs of overtraining? I think this year, since obviously working with Jordan and getting all the injuries, I took a step back and just adopted a more common-sense approach that if I feel like I need a day off, um, my normal split is working brilliantly. So I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in a full push legs fashion. I'll have Thursday off every week. Friday, Saturday will be push and pull again. And then I'll have Sunday off. So I'm training my legs once a week and I'm training everything else twice. Um, and having those two days off at that kind of um, area of the week is giving me enough rest. I feel great. So. Um, just find out what works best for you. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, overtraining is sort of a word that's only really, I think, come about in the last five or six years. And, and that's relatively new sort of to the bodybuilding scene, considering bodybuilding's been going since the 50s. Um, and, and obviously even longer than that, but known bodybuilding's been going since the 50s or 60s. And, you know, if you look at people like Flex Wheeler, like Milos, uh, like Sean Ray, Kevin Leroni, you know, these guys train twice a day every day. And, uh, and, and never once was overtraining mentioned. Um, yes, okay, these guys were full-time bodybuilders and all they had to do was train. You know, back in the 90s, they had massive sponsors and they were getting six-figure salaries from just training. Of course, that doesn't happen now, but I think the word overtraining is sort of something which, I say, which gets thrown about maybe because people are lazy, you know, because people are lazy and, and they say, well, I feel overtraining, I'm not progressing, I'm going to take a week off. Um, you know, so... In terms of science, um, like you say, injuries, James, I think like, if, if you are getting little niggles in your, in your elbow, in your knees, in your hips, in your ankles, wherever it may be, I wouldn't take that as a sign of overtraining. I'd probably take it more as a sign of maybe you're not having, or maybe you're not optimizing everything else. Maybe you're not optimizing your food. Maybe you're not optimizing, like, like we maybe spoke about, sleep. Um, maybe you're doing the wrong exercises in the gym. Maybe you're doing exercises that are creating injury. Like, like I don't squat anymore. I don't free bar squat anymore at all. Just because every time I squat, it puts me out of training for three or four days because I'll get a little niggle in my back. I'll get a little niggle in my knee. And I think some people will then say, well, I must be overtraining actually because you know I've got these little injuries. Um, sometimes I say, I think the word overtraining is thrown about a little bit too easy. Um, and, and sometimes maybe you need to look at other factors of your training as well. Um, risks of too much protein in a diet. Um, so, so protein is so protein to the body is toxic. So that's why whenever sort of you get a blood test done, um, your liver and kidney function is always slightly higher because the livers and kidneys are two cleansing organs of the body, and protein then being toxic, the livers are then working harder to get rid of that protein. Um, so, how high do you take your protein, James, prep and off season? Similar to yourself. Um, however, I don't know if it's changed since you've been because I know 
with Milos, I was I was higher than him um, status, but I stick around 500 now. And I think that's ample amount to um, grow, cover, and do everything you need to do without putting excess strain on liver and kidneys. Um, before, and this was possibly down to the fact that I wasn't purely taking it on a macronutrient basis. I was um, taking into consideration all the micronutrients on my food as well. But I was hitting more like 700 to 750. And did you notice any difference, Jane, when you pulled that protein down? No, definitely. Um, to be honest with you, I'd probably go for, to the toilet a little bit less. But nothing too noticeable. Um, but the food is more manageable. Um, mm. And if it's more manageable to eat, it's probably more manageable to digest. Yeah. And it's more manageable for kidneys and your liver to kind of process all that as well. Yeah, and I think one of the things I don't again speaking to you know I speak to hundreds of people in the gym every day, and I speak to hundreds of people online and clients and stuff who message me, and for some reason there seems to be this magic number of two hundred grams of chicken per meal, and I think yeah two hundred grams of beef, two hundred grams of chicken, two hundred grams of turkey, and I used to read a lot of magazines when I was younger, the Flex and the muscular development. And I think that number always came from there. It always came from 200 grams of chicken. 200, and obviously, these guys are probably not eating that. They probably just put it down for convenience. And then other people who weigh 60 kilos have then taken that on board and said, well, I need to eat 200 grams. If Ronnie Coleman's eating 200 grams, I need to eat 200 grams. Where in reality, they could probably half that and still get the maximum amount of growth. Um, so I think the, the over-protein, which most people do, has come from sort of the Flex magazines, the muscular development magazines. In terms of actual like health risks, um, yeah, your liver, kidney, liver and kidney function is going to be a bit, little bit higher. Um, will it have a real detriment to you? I don't think so in the long run, as long as you can reduce that protein amount when you don't need it as much. So when you stop competing or when you stop or when, you, when you're in the off-season and other macronutrients are a little bit higher, you can reduce that protein amount. And so that's the last question that we have today. Um, Jamie is still available for coaching if anybody wants to speak to Jamie about coaching. Jamie, how can people get a hold of you for coaching at the moment? At the moment, Rob, if um, you want to join me on my morning walks on Instagram, <laughs> then uh, you can drop me a DM on there. Uh, follow me. I am AKA The Giant. See how I put AKA and then use my ulterior name, not my first name. No dig at any other bodybuilders in the UK. Ha ha. Um, and my email is giantjohal521 at gmail.com. Brilliant. Um, I'm four at the moment, so I, I'm not taking on anybody at the moment. So um, if you want to drop Jamie a message, feel free to drop Jamie a message. And are you doing both males and females, Jamie, or males only? How are you doing at the moment? To be fair, Rob, if I have any female inquiries, I um, uh, recommend yourself as coach because you have a lot more experience with females. So um, I would like to concentrate on males just because that's my kind of comfort zone and, and I know how to um, get them in shape. Uh, ladies are a little bit more... Um, different, they're just different, yeah. Being, the, yeah, being yeah. male, and I'll be honest with you, I have no clue whatsoever um, with dosages and types of drugs to use with females, if any, so I would just push that over to a good man like yourself. Yeah, that, that's, again, that, that's a really honest point there Jamie you know, some, some people are open just to taking money um, you know and they don't worry about the end result but no, that's, really, that's a really really good point yeah. so everybody thank, 
yeah, thanks for today. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, James. Um, and I say the next episode will be uh, Gunter Schleerkamp. Um, I say Gunter was the only man ever to beat Ronnie Coleman during his reign as a Mr. Olympia. Um, so thanks for your time again, James, and I'm sure we'll speak to everybody soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Rob, and thanks for listening, Rob. Cheers.